Well, I think a lot of you have become smokers in the last few days, haven't you? Boy, they tell me it's really bad up at our place. Uh, My son lives about uh, 100 yards from the highway. He lives up on a hill. He says he can't see the highway. So uh, smoke is really going, lots of fires, uh, three or four great big ones, one in California, one in... uh, one in the Boise, Oregon area there. Uh, that's where Cassie lives, uh, by Boise. And uh, one up by us that is called the Marble Creek Fire. Uh, and, of course, northern Washington, the Okanagan Fire, where three young men were killed just the other day. And my son and his company will be doing training tomorrow for more firefighters and uh, the um, state of Idaho said they wanted them to train 50 people they got the list yesterday it will be 400 of them and so they're scrambling to get materials together and all of that so uh, we need to be praying we thought our house was in danger at a point a week ago and uh, we think we're safe now, but uh, these things change. Uh, So we need to be praying about that. Let's pray together. Father, we do put this into your hands because suddenly we realize that uh, we are very much out of control. You, You, Father, are the one who is able to control wildfires, but we cannot. We can fight them. Uh, Young men and women can go out there and risk their lives. We ask you, Father, to protect all of them. Keep them safe and well. Give them an extra amount of strength and energy and um, enable them, Father, to fight well and to ultimately win. And then, Father, another thing we come to realize is how how loose we should hold on to things because um, it's possible that all of it could go in a short period of time. And so, Father, where there are residents, there are people, there are whole towns in the paths of many of these fires. We pray you will protect them. And most of all, Father, we want to see the will of God in all of this. We want, Father, to see how you can work in our lives as we grow, even through such things as disaster and uh, and tragedies. So, Father, bless us as and bless all of those other people as they go through it. Uh, bless us this morning, Father, as we talk about some hard stuff and enable us, Father, to have open hearts and open minds and to trust in you to accomplish what you want to through us. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. One other comment about fires. You know, there are a lot of ramifications to all of this. For example, in the Northwest, the entire timber industry is shut down. 
uh, mills will begin running out of wood very soon. That means thousands of people out of work, no way to make a living, no way to put the bread on the table and pay the mortgage. Another aspect of that is, is that hundreds and hundreds of miles of wheat is being destroyed. Um, you can expect bread to go up next year if it keeps going like this. because And then all, a lot of other crops as well. And as a result, um, there are a lot of other ramifications. How many of you committed murder this past week? Anybody want to? Yeah. Yeah, I did a couple of times. I'm so thankful for First John 1, 9, you know. Uh, one lady told me this morning, I, I murdered my neighbor five times this week. And uh, so, um, uh, boy, it, it's really, uh, really a different concept, isn't it? Well, we have to think a little more about murder today. So if you sit with me for just a little bit, we, we talk a little bit about this whole business of murder, uh, we'll, we'll let God speak to us. Um, Will Rogers once said that uh, people who fly into a rage always make a bad landing. Uh, I heard someone say, you can never save face if you lose your head. And uh, that's kind of what we do from time to time with this temperament that a lot of us have inside. Um, Tuscanini was a great maestro. He, uh, at one time, uh, was the conductor of the New York Philharmonic. And um, he was born in the 1800s, died about 1958 or something like that. And, uh, but he was known for his awful temper. And uh, one time in a rehearsal in New York, somebody hit a flat note. And it made Tuscanini so angry he always had his watch laying there, you know, on the podium. You know what it means when a preacher takes his watch off, puts it on the podium? Nothing. Uh, he always had his watch there, and this, uh, this note was hit, and it made him so angry, he picked up this very expensive watch and slammed it to the floor and made it into a hundred pieces, never to be repaired again. And so he became known for this temperament. And at a point in time, he received a gift from the orchestra. And it was a box, and it was a beautifully velvet-lined box. And inside were two watches. One of them was a very expensive gold watch. And it said on it, for your personal use. And the other one was a cheap watch with a case that looked like it couldn't possibly ever come apart. And on it was written, um, for rehearsals only. <laughs> so this whole concept is a concept we find ourselves dealing with. And the fact is, we don't all want to deal with it. I want to point you to two words. If, if you have, we're going to look at the text in a moment. But if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. And in the New American Standard Version, the first two words are, if therefore. 
if therefore, and the importance of those words is that they connect us, they refer back to the previous passage. And remember, the previous passage was about three quiet ways to commit murder. This passage is connected to that one. So we can't divorce one from the other. They kind of go together. It shows us that this is an application of the teaching of the previous passage. We have to understand that before we start. In other words, if anger and insult and character assassination is so serious and so dangerous, especially as far as God is concerned, then we must avoid them like the plague and take action as speedily as possible. So that means that when we blow our stack, when we have a relationship with somebody that needs to be cured, then we ought to get about doing it. And that's what this passage is all about. So Jesus tells us two ways in which a person may be reconciled to another person and thus preventing murder. So let's take a look at the text. The first way is our relationship with God. Our relationship with God. I'm starting in verse 23. If therefore you are presenting your offer your your offering at the altar and there remember your brother circle the word your brother that becomes important in this discussion your brother has something against you leave your offering there before the altar and go your way first be reconciled Circle the words, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Now, what Jesus is trying to communicate to us here is that if you have someone in your fellowship who has something against you, you need to go and write that relationship. Or you need to at least attempt to right that relationship. It's important that we understand what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a brother. So if we were to put this into our context, we would call it something else. Let let me say that the chief tragedy of sin is that there is a separation between me and God. When Adam sinned in the garden, I sinned in the garden. And as a result, I am separated from God. The relationship with God is broken at that point. And because that relationship is broken, I am unable to function in relationship to God. If then I become a Christian and I have a broken relationship with someone in the body here, then my relationship with God is threatened as well. That's what I want you to see. You say, wait a minute, Pastor Rich. Um, 
didn't the sacrifice atone for the sin? The answer to that is yes. But here is an important statement that I want you to see. Sacrifice was never meant to excuse the necessity of restitution. Sacrifice was never meant to excuse the necessity of restitution. So because I sinned, the sacrifice was made, and there was, let me use a 10-cent theological word, propitiation. Remember that word? That means that the righteous demands of a holy God were satisfied when Jesus died on the cross and my sin could be removed. But when there is a relationship strained or broken between people, we are responsible for taking care of that because the sacrifice of Christ may forgive the sin, but it doesn't eliminate the restitution involved. So, you see this in Scripture. Let let me read a couple of passages for you. They're not on the screen, but let me read them for you. From Psalm 66, 18. You know David. David is in heaven today because he believed in the coming Messiah. He believed that God was going to send a Messiah to save men. And so David is in heaven He was a man after God's own heart. And he said this, If I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. So even though he was saved, he knew that in his saved condition, if he was a sinner, God wouldn't hear him. You have the same thing in 1 Samuel chapter 15, where Samuel is giving counsel to Saul and Samuel says, has not the Lord as much, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience, obeying the voice of the Lord? Oh, uh, he says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. So what Jesus is saying to us in these short verses is that we may be saved, born again, because this is a brother we are talking about. But if the relationship with that brother is broken, our sin is forgiven, but the fact is, we need to go and bring that relationship back together so that God is honored and glorified. Understand, I had you circle the word brother for a reason. Uh, Jesus is not talking about some of the great tragedies here. He's not talking about abuse or rape or murder. Uh, He is talking about relationships within the body. And we'll come to that in a moment. Um, The fact is, if there is a murder... I may not be able to rectify that relationship. 
the courts take that over. And certainly a murderer deserves the punishment that he receives. But even then, God does not want me to live in hate and anger and bitterness over that relationship. The perfect example in recent days has been the shootings in Charleston when a young man goes into a church prayer meeting and sits there while these people pray for an hour and then gets up and shoots them. And then days later, when he is arraigned and these people stand in front of him and say, I, one after another, I forgive you, the families of these people, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. You know what, you know what that is? That's grace. Grace that God gives to those people. And as a result, their grace exercised because of God's grace given to them may well have averted a citywide problem in, or a statewide problem for that matter. It went out all over the world, that testimony of forgiveness. Now, are they hurting? Yes. Do they think this guy shouldn't get his punishment? No. Yes, they do. Are they grieving? Yes. Will they ever get over it? No. See, when I sat on the grass on my dad's grave and said, I forgive you, it took it all. The the weight was just, I got up and the weight was gone. Understand that forgiveness doesn't always change our emotional state. You know, um, every once in a while, it would come back, and this feeling would come back to me. And I'd have to say, Dad, I forgive you again. Father, I forgive my dad. Again, and again, and again. Until now, I am an old man now, but now I don't even think about it much anymore. How many times will these people in Charleston forgive this guy? Hundreds of times. The point is, is that Jesus is talking about what goes on in here. He's not talking about rapes and murders and abuse situations where the law is involved. Because you and I can't repair those relationships. And I don't believe God expects these people to go to that murderer and say, I want a good relationship with you. Can we be all right? But they can forgive him. And they can walk around without the anger and the bitterness. And that's really what God wants. I want you to see some things. First of all, the offering at the altar. What we have to do is we have to put this into our framework. You have to understand, the Sermon on the Mount is how God perceives the the Christian life. The Sermon on the Mount is not how you perceive it or how I perceive it. The Sermon on the Mount is how God perceives the Christian life. 
And we have to understand that. And it's different from anything anybody has ever known. And it all starts inside, not on the outside. We've talked about that. And so in order to put this into our culture, you might put this statement in. When you come into the church for worship and prayer. So when you come into the church for worship and prayer on a Sunday morning, and uh, you're sitting here remembering, oh, you know, uh, Don Snow is mad at me because I call him old all the time. I, I need to go to Don and say, Don, forgive me for that. Um, uh, or or, or um, maybe he needs to come to me and say, I'll always get the last word. Um, I mean, that's a lame illustration. But, you know, sometimes there are problems among people in the church. Listen, let me tell you something. The best thing you and I can do for a new pastor coming in to take the reins is to make sure that we are united. That there's no trouble between us. So that we are able to come behind him, plug in, get the job done. And then I want you to see that taking initiative is important. This becomes incredibly important. Grab onto your seat. Because the writing of offenses is always to be our initiative, regardless of who is right or wrong. The implication in this text is that the person that Jesus is talking to is wrong. That's why he says... Your brother has somewhat against you, implying that you did something which was wrong. And we'll see that again in the next passage. So the initiating of the relationship has to be on our part. See, if you and I don't do it as believers who are saved in Christ and as mature believers, nobody's going to do it. Let me say it a different way. The obligation of reconciliation and peace is on us regardless of the circumstances. So God expects us to be the ones to initiate the process and say, you know, you and I haven't been speaking very well to each other lately. Is there something, could, is there anything I need to ask you? I'll ask your forgiveness for anything. Uh, Let's get it settled. Let's get it done. It is the only way to have a right relationship with God. In other words, if a broken relationship exists between you and me, a broken relationship exists with God. The reality of it is we technically are our brother's keeper. We actually are the people who are responsible for making sure that our brother has a relationship with us so that he may also have a good relationship with God. The next thing is very important. I want you to see. It is a statement of priority. Jesus is laying down a priority to go by in our relationship with God. Hold on to your seat. 
Jesus is making a higher priority over the correction of a relationship than he is over your worship on Sunday morning. Now, in the context, in Jesus' day, these were people who came before God to offer an an offering on the altar, maybe a sacrifice. And Jesus is saying, in the middle of that, if you think you're out of sorts with somebody, stop it right there. Cut it off and go get that taken care of. You may say, no, worship is the most important thing I do. No, it isn't. A more important thing is that you make sure your relationship with God is what it ought to be, and that can only happen if your relationship with everybody else is what it ought to be. Boy, that is tough stuff. That is hard. One can be right with God, can't be right with God, until he is right with his fellow man. Now I know, understand, I know, there are times when there's a broken relationship and you go to that person and you say, would you forgive me? They say, no, I won't. You go to that person and you say, I want to right this relationship. They say, no, I am angry and I'm going to stay. You know, sometimes people just like their anger. Sometimes people enjoy being mad. Sometimes people live and thrive in their bitterness. Your job and my job is to make an attempt to correct that relationship. When we have made that attempt and the person refuses, that's on him. Make the attempt and then come back and worship God because you've done your part. And that's really what Jesus is talking about here. We are not responsible for the stubbornness of other people. We are only responsible for ourselves and that which we do. However, if more of us would respond this way, there would be a lot more better relationships in our midst. So uh, the second thing is Jesus talks about our relationship with people. He starts in verse 25 and says, make friends quickly. Circle those words. See, in the first passage, he says, first, be reconciled. Then he says, make friends quickly. Do you think he's got a priority in mind here? with your opponent at law while you are on the way. In other words, while you're walking down the dusty road in your sandals, uh, ask this person to forgive you. Ask this person to unite the two of you together and move on so that it doesn't have to go further than that. In order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, there's another one of our, truly I say to you, I want you to sit up and pay attention, Jesus says. 
You shall not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. He has a picture here of the debtor's prison. You owe somebody money, they throw you in jail, and uh, your family, your wife, your kids have to try to raise that money and pay him back because you don't get out of jail until it is paid. And as a result, Jesus is saying, correct the problem before it goes that far. We are to be involved in peacemaking when we are the ones who are wrong in the relationship. And the fact is, is that again, the implication is that the one he is speaking to is the one who could be delivered to the judge, delivered to the officer, thrown into prison. The implication is the one Jesus is speaking to is the one who did the wrong thing. I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say, I didn't do anything. He was the one who was in fault. I'm not going to do anything until he comes to me. (laughs) That's not what Jesus is saying here. Uh, So we should settle settle the difference immediately. Immediately. There are other passages that bring us to this. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So do it before the sun goes down. Get it done. It's a good practice in a marriage, I might add. If you have a, a difficulty between husband and wife, get it done before bedtime, before the sun goes down. And also in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification. See the word sanctification? Last week we talked about the Greek word hagios. It's translated sanctify, be holy, or separate. That's the word he uses here. That which is set apart for the purpose of God, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it. See the word see to it? Uh, it's the Greek word episkopeo. Remember we talked about skopos, the word we get the word scope from? Put this thing on the table. Take a good look at it. In other words, if you have something against somebody in our church or somebody has something against you, You two need to sit down at a table and look at it like a scope. Bring it in. Analyze it. Get it done. Talk it out. Get forgiveness. Pray about it and move on from there. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. And no root of bitterness springs up. Uh, Springing up causes trouble. And by it may be for may be defiled. This root of bitterness comes when somebody like me, as a little boy, gets angry, and that anger grows, and that bitterness increases, and that hostility increases. And pretty soon, like we said last week, everybody sees it. And uh, 
And the man who was responsible for it was dead and gone long ago. That's what he's talking about. Now, I know there are a lot of reasons why you and I should not bring correction to a relationship. We give lots of excuses. We say things like, the time is not right. We say things like, they can't handle this right now. We say things like, I'll do it at a more convenient time. You know, there'll be a better time next week or next month. Sometimes we say, it's too much hassle. You know, I have a better excuse than any of it, anybody. I say, you know, I can't deal with that right now. I've got ministry to do over here. See, I make a holy thing out of it. I can make it spiritual. I can make this obedience spiritual. Boy, is that an oxymoron or what? We come up with all kinds of excuses. But this is the only way to avoid the consequences before the judge actually throws the book at us. Because one of these days, we will stand before the Lord. Let me explain something to you. The longer you wait on this, the more excuses you will come up with. The longer you wait to correct the relationship, the more justification you will have for not correcting it. And the longer time goes by, the less apt you are to correct the relationship because you get used to the relationship. You get used to walking in to... Please understand, I'm not talking about anybody in particular. But we get used to walking in to the lobby and seeing somebody across the lobby that we really don't want to talk to. We get used to that. And because we're used to it, pretty soon it goes on that way. Uh, The longer it goes, the less apt we are to take care of it. Let me give you some of the results. The results of immediate reconciliation are good on both sides. Here's the first one. It eliminates mental strain on one or both parties. In other words, when you walk into the grocery store and you're going down an aisle or you're ready to go down an aisle and on the other end around the corner comes this person that you don't want to talk to, you know what happens? Pretty soon you're going down an aisle you don't want to go down. Because you're avoiding them. The old saying about crossing the street so I don't have to talk to that person. That becomes a reality. What do you say to them? Now I know there are sometimes situations where the person will not reconcile. My, my, my practice is not to avoid them. My practice is to see them, pass them in the grocery store aisle and say, George, Sam, John, whatever his name is, I want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. And move on. Uh, But if this thing is rectified and taken care of and, and done with, then that mental strain is taken away. 
The second thing is, there's lack of reconciliation results in standing before God and giving an account. Because the longer we put it off, the more we justify it, the more distance, the more chance of judgment comes to us. And finally, we can eliminate anger, insults, character assassination, and maybe even physical murder. This becomes a surefire cure for murder. Someone has said, speak well of your enemies. Remember, you made them. It's the truth, isn't it? And another important thing to remember is that we have freely received forgiveness from God. You know, when I give the gospel, I give it for four, with four A's. You've heard that now. Admit I'm a sinner. Agree to turn from my sin. Acknowledge Jesus is the one who came and died and rose from the dead to forgive my sin. And finally, accept. The reason for the word accept is that this is a gift. It's free. God wants to forgive every one of us. It's not God's will that any should perish. And so it's free forgiveness from God. And we must be willing to give it as freely as God gives it. And when we are not, we are not good testimonies. That's why the people in Charleston were a testimony all over the world because they stood up and said, I don't like what you did, but I forgive you. Last week I told you about Virginia Lawrence. This week I want to tell you about a man whose name we don't give because he never wanted any notoriety at all. He was a Christian in Korea during the Korean War. And uh, he was captured by the communists. And it was decided that he was, a, he was practicing treason. And so he, would, uh, he was tried and uh, sentenced to die. And uh, before his sentence was carried out, this young communist soldier, very young, trying to make a name for himself, trying to work his way up the ranks of communism, uh, who was going to kill this Christian because he was a Christian, found out that the Christian man was in charge of an orphanage full of little kids. And the, the, uh, the communist said, well, we need to leave him there because he can raise these little kids so that we can get more communists out of them. And... Uh, So he made the decision that they would kill the Christian's son rather than the Christian. So they brought in the Christian's 18-year-old son. They put him on his knees in the presence of his father, and they shot him. And the father stood there and watched and wept. And then they let the Christian go back to his orphanage and do his ministry there. As you may know, the fortunes of war changed in Korea. And the young communist was apprehended 
and he was judged, and he was sentenced to death. And this Christian ran as fast as he could from the orphanage over to where he was and pleaded for the life of the young communist. And he said, he was young. He didn't know what he was doing. Give him to me, and I will raise him up well. And believe it or not, the United Nations forces gave this young communist into the hands of this Christian man whose son was murdered by this young communist in front of him. And the, young co- the, yo- the Christian took the young communist home to his own home and raised him. And ultimately, this communist man became a Christian pastor, pastor in Korea. Because one man was able to forgive. And that's what God wants all of us to be able to do. I don't care what's been done to you. I know you have violent and horrible stories. We all do. God says, I want you to forgive. And if there's somebody in our church that said something you don't like, did something you don't like, don't walk, run to them and say, forgive me for being angry and let's be friends again. Because that's what Jesus is talking about here. That is the Christian life that God perceives. So as you take communion this morning, perhaps you have something, someone to think about as you take communion. We take communion every Sunday here. Let me explain it to you. We'll play some music, and as we play music, uh, you can talk to God, examine your heart, and think through it. Uh, The Apostle Paul wants us to examine ourselves before we do this. There's a station over there and a station over there, a station back there, and a station over here. And when you are ready, you can get up and go and get the bread and the cup. You can either find a corner and take communion by yourself. You can bring it back to your chair. Take communion when you're ready. Uh, Carolyn and I always like to bring it back to our chair. Sometimes while the singing is going on, I pray right there, and we take communion together right there. And so, so you do it however you like. But we want you to talk to God. And whether it's forgiving somebody or whether it's something else that you need to deal with God this morning, do it before you take communion. Let's bow together and pray together. Prepare our hearts. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your forgiveness. Your grace and your mercy is beyond our comprehension. We could not stand without it. We could not exist, Father, without your grace, your mercy, and your forgiveness. So today, Father, we come into your presence.
realizing that your concept of the Christian life is very different than ours might be. In our humanity, Father, some of us like our anger. Some of us enjoy our bitterness. Some of us think we have a right. God, bring us into line with your thinking about how we ought to live. When a new pastor comes, Father, if we don't turn anything else over to him, let us turn a church that is in love with each other. Let us turn over a church that is in total unity. Let us turn over a church, Father, that is forgiving, gracious, merciful. And we pray, Father, that as we come to the table, that you will minister to each of our hearts. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your body, for your blood. Thank you that it is that that made it possible for your forgiveness because it's all about the blood. We are under the blood. We ask you to bless us in Jesus' sweet name, Father. Amen.